Donald Trump tells the world he'll be arrested on Tuesday and calls for mass protests in the streets. The Biden family's Chinese payoff racket begins to see the light of day. And the risk of financial meltdown isn't nearly over yet. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. All righty, well, Donald Trump lit the fuse. He lit that rocket. And now we are going to explore whether, in fact, Donald Trump will be arrested tomorrow. So Donald Trump, over the weekend, he announced on Truth Social that he was about to be arrested imminently. He put out a statement that said, quote, now illegal leaks from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan district attorney's office, which has allowed new records to be set in violent crime and whose leader is funded by George Soros, so far, all true, indicate that with no crime being able to be proven and based on an old and fully debunked by numerous other prosecutors fairy tale, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest, take our nation back. Okay, so he's announcing, we, we have no other information that he's going to be arrested on Tuesday, but he's announcing that there is an, there's a leak that is saying that he's going to be arrested on Tuesday. And then he continued by saying, Biden wants to pretend he has nothing to do with the Manhattan DA's assault on democracy when, in fact, he has stuffed the DA's office with the Department of Injustice people, including one top DOJ operative from D.C. who's actually running the Horseface witch hunt. Horseface is his name for Stormy Daniels. Bragg is a Soros racist in reverse who is taking his orders from D.C. I beat them twice, doing much better the second time. And despite their disinformation campaign, they don't want to run against Trump or my great record. So his theory, apparently is that not only is he going to be arrested, the reason he's going to be arrested is so the Democrats can stop him from running. We'll get to the actual political implications of a possible arrest itself, but we have to begin with the information. So Trump is the only person so far, including the DA, who's come out and said that he's going to be arrested on Tuesday. Now, there was speculation late last week that there was a possibility that as a grand jury investigation continues in New York, the possibility of an indictment was growing. However, there has been no actual leak from the DA's office to the public about the possibility of Trump being arrested, which suggests that somebody from the DA's office must have called Trump and asked him to turn himself in. But even that is sort of up in the air. At this point, we just don't know what we what we don't know. And as it turns out, there are still witnesses who have to testify before that New York grand jury. So the highest likelihood at this point, just from a, a pure procedural standpoint, is that Donald Trump heard a rumor from a friend of a friend. And that friend of a friend said, you're going to be arrested on Tuesday. And Trump, not having any sort of filter, just went directly to Truth Social and put that out there. But we have no other corroborative information that he will, in fact, be arrested on Tuesday. Now, that's not to say he won't be arrested. He could certainly be arrested on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the following week, right? Anytime that could happen. And again, Alvin Bragg in, in New York, the DA there, who is, in fact, Soros elected. He's a person who's funded by George Soros, a very left-wing prosecutor. He's sort of implied that an indictment is on the table for Trump in the near future. But this set the entire world ablaze, obviously, because when the former president of the United States and the current frontrunner in the Republican nominating race announces that he is likely to be arrested by a hardcore Democrat prosecutor in New York over a crime that was allegedly committed back in 2016. And you may have checked your calendar recently. It is, it is now 2023. And the statute of limitations on a misdemeanor in the state of New York, on New York State misdemeanor, is two years, which would have ended this thing in 2018. And the statute of limitations on a New York felony is five years, which prevented this thing in 2021. And the only way to extend beyond that statute of limitations is to somehow hook Trump's behavior from 2016 into a federal campaign finance felony. That would be the only theory under which you could do this sort of thing. This starts to look really dicey in the first place. And it also 
does look politically motivated because we've had too many prosecutors who've come out and they've said that we are we are going to get Trump. Right? We had Letitia James when she took office as attorney general of New York officially say, like in her opening statement, we're going to get Trump. We're going to go after him, which, by the way, is not how you go after crime. The way that you typically go after crime is you find a crime and then you prosecute the person who committed the crime. You don't find a person you would like to prosecute and then you figure out which crime they have committed. But it seems like there are a lot of prosecutors out there who have, who have done this. Now, Trump has opened himself up on a wide variety of scores by using what would be a best dicey behavior. But that two things can be true at once. That dicey behavior can be dicey and also not criminal, as we've seen multiple times in the past. And we'll get to legal predicate for the kind of charge that Alvin Bragg would be trying to bring against Trump. And we'll show that that legal predicate really does not exist. There'd be a novel legal theory if carried to fruition. So according to the Associated Press, even as Trump's lawyer and spokesperson said there had been no communication from prosecutors, Trump declared in a post on his social media platform he expects to be taken into custody on Tuesday. Again, this is why I say I think Trump is just kind of speaking off the cuff as per his usual arrangement. I don't think this is a planned statement. I don't think there was a leak directly from the New York DA's office to Trump. It sounds like this went through a, a process of telephone and finally Trump got the information that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday and he put that out there. But as I say, there's still process to take place. Business Insider is reporting that a possible Donald Trump hush money indictment is on hold until a final witness even testifies before a Manhattan grand jury on Monday afternoon. A source with knowledge of the investigation told Insider Saturday night there is at least one more witness. That sort spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to divulge details of the grand jury proceedings. Well, if they're still a witness, that means the grand jury has not even voted yet on whether they believe that an indictment would be justified or necessary, which means that it seems weird that, that Trump, before the grand jury has even decided, would be saying, I'm going to get arrested on Tuesday. Probably somebody told him the soonest you could be arrested is on Tuesday, and they're already talking about an arrest. The source declined to identify the witness whose testimony will cap a two-month grand jury presentation by prosecutors under District Attorney Alvin Bragg. A separate source who spoke on condition of anonymity said that the witness is not Alan Weisselberg. That's Trump's former CFO. The star witness for the grand jury so far has been former Trump attorney and fixer Michael Cohen. He expected to be the, the final grand jury witness when he testified on Monday, Monday and Wednesday of last week. Okay, so bottom line is that the Trump's timing may be off. Now, that doesn't undercut the fact that if he is indeed arrested, it's going to be an absolute bombshell in, in the middle of American politics, the presidential race, and, and law enforcement generally. We'll get to more on that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that there are a lot of people out there that you just cannot trust. I'm talking about big tech. I'm talking about gov big government. You know what all these places have in common? They would love your data. Love it. They make money off your data. In fact, they need your data in order to monetize themselves. That's why these big free tech services, they're not really free. They're grabbing your data. They're repackaging the data. They're selling the data to advertisers. They're making that data available to the government. This is why I use VPN and you should as well. It is no secret that the big tech monopoly is manipulating us, whether it's through algorithmic changes, demonetization, or shadow bans. This is why the left considers Elon Musk a threat to freedom, because he might break that monopoly. Well, you can break the monopoly as well by using ExpressVPN. If you've ever wondered how those free-to-access tech giants make their money, the answer is they track everything. Don't let them do it. ExpressVPN is an app that anonymizes your online presence, making it much more difficult for big tech companies to track and sell your data. They also encrypt 100% of your network data and protect you from cyber criminals. I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. If like me, you believe your online activity is nobody else's business, get the VPN I trust at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Again, that's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash Ben. And next for three months for free, expressvpn.com slash Ben. Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. 
Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. Okay, so again, Trump announces that he is likely to be arrested on Tuesday. And then he put out another post saying, quote, it's time, this is all capital letters, it's time, three exclamation points. We just can't allow this anymore. They're killing our nation as we sit back and watch. We must save America. Protest, protest, protest. And this, of course, led the entire media to immediately jump into, he's going to start another insurrection. It's an insurrection. It's an insurrection. First of all, there's nothing illegal about calling for people to protest. If there were, then the entire Black Lives Matter movement would have not, never got off the ground in June of 2020. Democrats love protests until they are protests of things that they don't particularly like, at which point it becomes a threat to democracy. Trump saying protest does not mean that he is calling for a violent insurrection against anybody. You know how I know? Because there's an actual crime in the United States called incitement. You can be prosecuted for it. If you say to your neighbor, you should go out and you should commit an act of violence against Bob, and then he goes out and commits an act of violence against Bob, then you will be prosecuted for incitement. It is not incitement to say protest, 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 even in all capital letters, even if it's Donald Trump, even if there are lots of exclamation points. So let's go through a little bit of the, the actual case here with regard to what's happened. So first of all, Michael Cohen, who would be the chief witness in all of this and who himself has been, I believe, convicted of perjury. And he, he lied when, when he was talking about his taxes and all of this. And he pled guilty to campaign finance fraud. As we'll talk about, that has implications for Trump's actual case because those two cases are one and the same with regard to Stormy Daniels. But he was also convicted for hiding money from the IRS and all the rest. Michael Cohen says Trump isn't doing this because the DA leaked. He's doing this because he's essentially leaking the fact that he's going to be arrested. OK, whatever. Here's Michael Cohen. This untruth social post that was put out by Donald, knowing Donald the way that I do, I don't see a reason that Donald would have put out the statement unless he has or his team have been contacted by the district attorney's office and advised accordingly. It's not Donald to turn around and to come up with something for just because he's bored at Mar-a-Lardo sitting there on a Saturday morning. Hey, let's stir this all up. And I'll tell you something else about when I read that, uh, that post. It's eerily similar to the battle cry that he put out yeah. just prior to the January 6th insurrection. Okay, that sort of stuff is super tiresome. Super tiresome. And the reason that it's super tiresome, of course, is because saying that you want people to protest is not the same thing as saying that you want them to commit acts of violence. I will say, every time I hear Michael Cohen, I can't help but think of the Donald Trump tweet, maybe my favorite Donald Trump tweet of all time. And that's, there's a long list. I mean, Donald Trump's Twitter feed is just lit. But Donald Trump, August 22nd, 2018, quote, if anyone is looking for a good lawyer, I would strongly suggest you don't retain the services of Michael Cohen. <laughs> One of my favorite tweets of all time. Of course, you know, Donald Trump has a habit of not hiring the best people. I mean, let's just put it out there. The, the, half the people who he's hired, he's either fired because he thought they were incompetent 
or have ended up, you know, being prosecuted. In any case, Michael Cohen, as it turns out, was not a good lawyer. And this is what is going to lie at the heart of this particular case is what did Trump know and when did he know it? And what was what was going through his head when he authorized a payment from Michael Cohen to Stormy Daniels? So to recap this this rather salacious saga, the the story here is that way back when Donald Trump likely stopped Stormy Daniels, who is a former porn actress, is 2006. And all the way back to 2006, this is 10 years before Donald Trump was running for president. And he was at some sort of golf event and he hit on Stormy Daniels. And then he essentially invited her to his hotel room, implying that he would cast her on The Apprentice. And then he had sex with her. And she waited for like years on end for this to, because Donald Trump was not exactly known as, you know, Captain Monogamy. This has never been Donald Trump's brand. Donald Trump's brand has never been that he is a, a, a particularly holy man when it comes to his wedding vows. And so the there, there's really no, no there there. There was, there was no actual story there with regard to Stormy Daniels screwing Donald Trump because after all, Donald Trump for several decades screwed anything that moved. And then he married half of those people. So in any case, that, that, that was not a story. It became a story in 2015 when Donald Trump started running for president. When that happened, Stormy Daniels saw a paycheck. And at that point, she was like, okay. I've got a story to tell. She, of course, is not the only person who said that she had a story to tell during the time. There's also Karen McDougal, who's a former Playboy Playmate, who had also allegedly had some sort of affair with Trump. And she also started retailing her story. And all of this got very much tied up with both the campaign and with monetary payoffs. Even the New York Times recognizes, by the way, that any of Trump's conduct with regard to authorizing Michael Cohen to pay Stormy Daniels, even that would not be illegal. It would be salacious and and kind of gross, but it wouldn't be an actual crime. As the New York Times, I mean, this is the New York Times, this is me, okay? The New York Times, which hates Donald Trump and would love nothing better than to see the guy perp walk. They would love to see him with the picture, with the, with the numbers in front, of the, in front of the police screen, the whole deal. Even the New York Times is like, yeah, this case is not really amazing. Quote, it would not be a simple case. Prosecutors are expected to use a legal theory that has not been assessed in New York courts, raising the possibility a judge could throw out or limit the charges. The episode has already been examined by both the Federal Election Commission and federal prosecutors in New York. Neither took action against Mr. Trump. That includes Cyrus Vance, who is very much motivated to attack Trump. Trump, for his part, denies ever having had sex with Stormy Daniels and said he did nothing wrong. Now, again, that's exactly what you predict from Trump. That doesn't mean he didn't. But the notion that he committed a crime is very much up for debate. And if we we're talking about beyond a reasonable doubt for a conviction, there's a lot of reasonable doubt in this particular case with regard to the criminal violation that would have occurred. And again, it's the weakness of the case that dictates that there must be something political at play here. If this were a super strong case, say, oh, well, you know, they have to prosecute. It's a strong case. It's a very, very, very weak case, which means that it is innately political. And we'll get to that in a moment. First, everybody here, everybody in my audience, you all know that the thing that is basically keeping me alive at this point is black rifle coffee every single morning. Because my kids wake me up way too early after I've gone to bed too late. And then I have to get up, I have to prep for the show, get ready for the day. Black Rifle Coffee is the thing that allows that to happen. Black Rifle Coffee is fueling Americans before they go out and do epic things with their lives. Their ready-to-drink cans are crafted for convenience without losing quality. If you want a Spartan-level caffeine kick, try Ready to Drink 300, made with 300 milligrams of caffeine per can and an electrifying blend of MCT oil and amino acids that will supercharge your day. Ready to Drink 300 packs a serious caffeine punch Backed by high-quality ingredients, it comes in a bunch of delicious flavors, caramel vanilla, rich mocha, and more. Each unique flavor combined with a large dose of wake the hell up. Whether you need a boost before you hit the gym 
or a caffeine jolt to carry you through your shift, just grab a can and go. Head on over to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use promo code Shapiro at checkout for 10% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 10% off. You can also find Black Rifle Coffee in grocery and convenience stores near you. It's America's best coffee. Go check them out right now. BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use promo code Shapiro. Get 10% off your order. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you may have noticed we're experiencing a ton of global instability as primary season continues. How are you protecting your family in the midst of all of this chaos and nonsense? The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political and economic upheaval dating all the way back to biblical times. That, of course, would be gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out, balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text Ben to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. Claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Smart investors diversify. And when you look at the pace of inflation over the past several years, you can see financial instability is the new way of the world. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898 and talk to my friends over at Birch Gold. Okay, so let's get into the legal case. So Trump, apparently, the campaign happens. And now Stormy Daniels decides her, this is her moment. This is her moment. Now, since 2000, Trump had been flirting with running for president. Right? He, he thought about it in 2011. He thought about it in 2000. He thought about it like over and over and over again. So in 2011, when Trump was talking about running for president, you remember he actually flirted pretty strongly with it in 2011, 2012. Daniels began working with an agent to sell if she could see if she could sell the story of their liaison because, hey, make a buck while, while you can. And they negotiated, according to The New York Times, a $15,000 deal with Life and Style, a celebrity magazine, telling its reporters that Daniels believed Trump's offer to make her a contestant had been a lie. The reporter asked her just to impress you to try to sleep with you. Yeah, said Miss Daniels, and I guess it worked. Oh, you mean a powerful man offered the possibility of a career boost and you went for it? I, I, wow, shocking, shocking. When the magazine contacted the Trump Organization for Comment, Michael Cohen, who was Trump's attorney at the time and now a convicted perjurer, returned the call. A lawyer who'd been joined, who had joined the company just four years earlier, Cohen had become Trump's fixer. Trump dropped out of the race. He continued hosting The Apprentice. That October, Daniel's story actually surfaced briefly because they tried to leak it to a gossip blog called The Dirty. A couple of media outlets followed up and then offered payment because after Trump was no longer running for president, no one frankly cared. A couple of media outlets followed up and then offered payment. And Daniels actually at the time denied the story. And then in 2015, of course, Trump crops up again in the political eye. And Daniels once again is like, hey, I can make some moolah off that one time that I shook the president, uh, the president to be. So she tried to sell the story again in spring 2016, knowing that Trump was in the headlines, this time for more than 200 grand. All of the publications that she approached passed, including the National Enquirer at about the same time, Karen McDougal, former Playboy Playmate, also began thinking, how do I make a buck off the fact that Donald Trump slept with me in 2006? He had a busy year in 2006. I believe he married Melania in 2005. And then according to Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels, in 2006, he, uh, he had sex with, with both of them. So it was a busy, it was a busy year, it was 2006. Midterm elections, Iraq war, beginning of the, uh, the Sunni insurgency, the Shia insurgency, and, and, um, and Donald Trump nailing pretty much everything. In 2016, with her modeling career flagging, McDougal hired Mr. Davidson, the same lawyer who'd helped Stormy Daniels remove the 2011 blog post, and then they approached the National Enquirer. The National Enquirer essentially tried to buy up these stories in order to silence them because the person who ran the National Enquirer was good friends with Donald Trump. 
So the people, according to the New York Times, surrounding Stormy Daniels immediately realized that Trump's new vulnerability made her more of a threat and gave her story value. And Davidson, the Los Angeles lawyer, was also friendly with Stormy Daniels' agent, Gina Rodriguez, and with the Inquirer's editor. On the day after the Access Hollywood tape, the famous grab by the bleep tape emerged, these two lawyers texted about the damage it had done to Trump's campaign. And then they asked for a pitch. These lawyers asked Stormy Daniels' agent to send another pitch for the National Enquirer at the time. Three days after the Access Hollywood tape, and here we get into the actual legal issue, Michael Cohen agreed to pay $130,000 to Stormy Daniels in a deal that threatened severe financial penalties for Daniels. It was essentially an NDA. They were paying her for an NDA. Cohen delayed paying. Apparently, he said he was trying to figure out where to get the money while Trump campaigned. So according to Cohen, Trump had approved the payment and delegated to him and the Trump Organization's chief financial officer the task of arranging it. They considered options for funneling the money through the company, but they didn't settle on a solution. Stormy Daniels started to think, hey, maybe the current presidential candidate is waiting until after the election in order to pay me off because if the election is over and he loses, that story no longer has any value at all. And so instead, Daniels' lawyer canceled the deal and the porn actress began shopping the story again. Cohen finally agreed to make the payment himself. He spoke briefly by phone with Trump twice and then transferred about 130 grand from his home equity line of credit into the accounts of a Delaware shell company. And Cohen, again, ends up being charged and pleading guilty to campaign finance violations. The idea being that he gave a contribution to the Trump campaign by paying off Stormy Daniels by himself, but didn't report it as a campaign contribution. And in the original filing with regard to with regard to his campaign finance violations in 2018, the suggestion was made in the filings that Trump had essentially incentivized Cohen to do that and therefore could have been implicated in campaign finance problems. So why in 2018 wasn't Trump actually, why exactly wasn't he arrested at the time? Well, there, there are a few problems. Okay, the, the problem number one is that it was, it's totally unclear whether Trump would have actually been able to be convicted on that charge, given the fact that he had multiple reasons to want Stormy Daniels' story not to come out. One could have been the election, so he could theoretically say this was a campaign expenditure. It should have gone through his campaign arm. The second is, it wasn't a campaign expenditure. And so if he'd used the campaign arm, that would have been campaign finance fraud, right? That he, The reason that he wanted to shut down Stormy Daniels' story is because he didn't want Melania finding out, because it's embarrassing Melania, right? That's the so-called Melania defense that people have been talking about. And so... Again, the, the violation here is just unclear on a wide variety of, of issues. Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation, and he says if the state charges are based on a supposed violation of federal campaign finance law, the Manhattan DA is way off base. Right? The misdemeanor would be falsification of business records by the Trump organization that Trump sent 130 grand to Michael Cohen for legal services, but the legal services were actually just to pay off to Stormy Daniels. That's a misdemeanor. The statute of limitations has run. Also, you don't charge a former president of the United States on that basis. It's way too politically fraud. If you were going to try to wrap that into some sort of felony, it would have to be a federal felony, like a finance felony on the federal level. And as we'll talk about in a second, that is an extremely weak case. Also, speaking of extremely weak cases, the, the case that the federal government knows what it is doing financially continues to weaken. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But this means that you have to think about what you do to protect your money right now. Well, the thing I'm doing is diversifying. And hard assets are a great way to diversify against the possibility of inflation and uncertainty in the markets. You can hedge against inflation the way that most people have historically by owning gold, whether that's physical gold and silver in your safe at home or through an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. I've bought birch gold before. I have it as part of my diversified portfolio. It's a smart thing to do. Buy gold today. Get a free safe to store it in. That is correct. On qualifying purchases from birch gold now through March 31st, it will ship a free safe directly 
to your door. Just text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. Claim eligibility for your free safe and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Again, that's Ben to 989898 today. Go check them out right now. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold and claim eligibility for that free safe and diversify the smart way with my friends over at Birch Gold. So what exactly would the legal case be? Well, again, as Spakovsky points out, a settlement payment of a nuisance claim is not a federal campaign expense. So if you're just paying settlements to a bunch of ladies who you banged at one point, that's ugly, but it's not actually a, a federal campaign expense. And the state DA has no authority to prosecute a federal campaign finance violation in any event. So they would have to say falsification of New York State Records Act in combination in order to cover up a federal campaign finance violation. And Spakovsky, who used to work at the Federal Elections Commission, he says, I used to work over there. And there's a reason they let this case go. He said the federal agencies with jurisdiction did not consider it a violation. In 2018, Von Spakovsky wrote the payment to Daniel seemed to be a nuisance settlement, which celebrities often make. And again, Trump himself maintains that he never had sex with Stormy Daniels. And so that's actually a fairly low amount. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at the possibility of a presidential race and you have to silence this lady because the presidential is happening like three weeks from today, 130 grand for that is not actually a very large amount of money. Reason Magazine points out also that the theory here is really weak. Quote, the theory underlying that charge was that Cohen contributed the Hutch money at Trump's behest for the principal purpose of influencing the election as opposed to avoiding personal embarrassment for Trump or sparing Melania Trump's feelings. As the former FEC chairman Bradley Smith noted at the time, that interpretation was open to question. He wrote, quote, the best interpretation of the law is that it simply is not a campaign expense to pay blackmail for things that happened years before one's candidacy. And thus nothing that Cohen, or in this case, Trump did, is a campaign finance crime. And the reason that Cohen pled guilty, presumably, is because he pled guilty really to the other charges and he got a, a much lowered sentence so that he would then testify against Trump. Smith said, at a minimum, it's unclear whether paying blackmail to a mistress is, quote, for the purpose of influencing an election and so must be paid with campaign funds or a personal use and so prohibited from being paid with campaign funds. So the question as to whether this is actually going to end with a conviction is a very, very strong question, especially because, again, we have predicate for this sort of attempted prosecution and it has in the past failed. So for example, Back in 2012, you'll recall there was a man named Senator John Edwards. Senator John Edwards ran for president in 2008, and he flamed out. Well, during that 2008 bid for the White House, you'll recall that he was actually stooping his camera woman. And then apparently, he solicited nearly a million bucks from his wealthy backers to finance the cover-up of the illicit affair and his illegitimate child during that bid. So first of all, a mil you should notice the discrepancy in the accounts, right? I mean, if Stormy Daniels, was selling her story and it was a legit story. Maybe it goes for a hundred more. Maybe that, that does give some credibility to the idea that Trump is paying off a nuisance claim. $130,000 for a man like Donald Trump is not a lot of money. So maybe he sees this as a nuisance. I'm not going higher than 130. And remember, in a case where John Edwards actually did stop his camera woman and, and she bore a child by him, they were looking for a million dollars. In any case, he was found not guilty on count three of a six-part indictment. That count pertained to whether Edwards illegally received several hundred thousand dollars in donations from a wealthy heiress to cover up the affair in 2008. So the legal theory there was that the reason that he did that was to cover it up during the 2008 presidential campaign in the hopes that that would somehow not sink him in the 2008 presidential campaign. But the jury deadlocked on that. They said, well, maybe the reason that he covered it up is because it was really embarrassing to him on just a sort of generalized public level, given the fact that his wife was dying of cancer at the time. So- there's predicate for an attempted prosecution and a failure of that prosecution. There's also been cases, obviously, in American history of sitting presidents literally paying off people for sexual peccadilloes. 
or sexual harassment or assault, as the case may be, you'll remember that, that Bill Clinton signed a settlement with Paula Jones for $850,000 in November of 2000, in November of 1998. So was that a campaign finance related expense? I mean, you could say that it probably was. I mean, obviously, this is a person who was the president of the United States. And whether or not you're running or whether you're not running, I mean, that, that obviously has to do with your job as president of the United States. With that said, he wasn't running for re-election. I guess you could make a distinction there, legally speaking, but you have predicate for people paying off these sorts of issues and it not being seen as a legal violation, just being seen as sort of gross. Okay, so this raises the question of what here is happening politically, because again, the case here is incredibly weak. Even CNN's Elliot Williams, legal analyst on CNN, right? Even he says this is a super weak case. This had been an almost dormant yeah. case. I mean, Cy Vance, the, a previous DA, didn't really move forward with it. And even Alvin Bragg didn't move forward with it until recently. So a couple things. One, it's an, the facts are old. They're six or seven years old. And the star witness here in the form of Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former attorney, has credibility issues, has been convicted of crimes. And so, you know, to your point, Abby, as far as the strength of a case, it's certainly not the kind of slam dunk that many people would wish that it were. I mean, that obviously is true. And everybody now acknowledges that. So this, this raises the question as to what exactly is happening here. And what, what is happening here is wish fulfillment. What's happening here on the part of many people on the left is wish fulfillment. There are really only two possible rationales for doing this. One is Alvin Bragg wants his name in the headlines. The first prosecutor who goes after Donald Trump becomes a celebrity figure across the United States. They finally get the picture that they've been wanting since Donald Trump was elected president of the United States, really since he was nominated, which is Donald Trumping frog march somewhere or, uh, or a mugshot of Donald Trump. That is the thing that they are looking for. And this is also why they are spinning up talk that if he is arrested, that he will be denied bail because he posted on his profile that people ought to protest. The UK Daily Mail is already spinning up that narrative. They say a former federal prosecutor warned on Saturday that former President Trump's social media posts sharing details of his expected arrest could see him denied bail. Based on what? So Glenn Kirshner, MSNBC legal analyst, has compared the all-caps rant to his posts leading up to the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021, and said it could affect the terms of his release. He speculated a judge could interpret Trump's post as an attempt to incite a crowd to riot. He said, I would slap a government exhibit sticker on this post and I would introduce it at his criminal trial. Okay, now I understand that y'all want him to languish in jail. He's getting bail. And you're not going to put, what, is he a flight risk? You really think he's going to like lead an armed revolt against the DA in Manhattan? And the, uh, so much wish fulfillment happening right here. They just want, they want the headline. And that's all they care about is the headline. Because again, this case is way too weak to go to trial on. Unless you just assume that there's a left-wing jury and the left-wing jury is going to convict Trump of, of, of jaywalking. And no matter what happens, reasonable doubt no longer matters because Trump has to be got, so you go get him. And the, by the way, the dead giveaway here that, that this is not about the criminal violation is the fact that Alvin Bragg, the, the DA who is going after Donald Trump, is one of the softest DAs in all of America. He announced in January of 2022, he released a memo detailing his new charging bail plea and sentencing policies. Among the crimes that Bragg said his office would not prosecute, marijuana misdemeanors, including selling more than three ounces, not paying public transportation fare, trespassing except a fourth degree stalking charge, resisting arrest, obstructing governmental administration in certain cases and prostitution. So he's not enforcing any of that in the city of New York. He announced he wasn't going to in January 2022. New York has been a crime-ridden hellhole for the past several years. This guy was elected as the DA, and he immediately said he's not going to prosecute crimes, but he's making sure that he definitely goes after Donald Trump for activities that originally took place in 2006, and then a payoff that happened in 2016, and the year is currently 2023. Yeah, he just... He's, he's basically just a, a Harvey Dent type seeking justice no matter where the, where the road leads before he turns into Two-Face. Clear, clearly, that's where this is. 
He's like an Atticus Finch-style lawyer, Alvin Bragg. Or alternatively, he's really, really looking for a headline. And of course, never one to let the possibility of a headline pass him by. He then leaked a memo from his office. So I, I doubt that he leaked the, the possible Trump arrest to Trump. I really doubt that's what happened. Again, as I said earlier, I think what probably happened is Trump heard through the grapevine that an arrest was imminent. And so he went on Truth Social and decided to beat everybody to the punch. But Alvin Bragg did leak something to the press over the weekend. And the thing that he leaked to the press is a statement in which he told all of his law enforcement officers they're doing a spectacular job because he is just a servant of the law. He is, quote, our law enforcement partners will ensure that any specific or credible threats against this office will be fully investigated and the proper safeguards are in place. So all 1,600 of us have a secure work environment. In the meantime, as with all of our investigations, we'll continue to apply the law evenly and fairly and speak openly only when appropriate. We do not tolerate attempts to intimidate our office or threaten the rule of law in New York. Well, mostly the rule of law has been threatened in New York by Alvin Bragg and by Democrats who have decided not to enforce the law in the city of New York. But this moment was going to happen. Again, that that gun had been placed above Chekhov's mantle for the entire first act here. If we are now in act two, of Trump the movie, the, the gun has to be taken off the mantle and used. Right? The possibility of some sort of prosecution of Trump had to come to fruition. Democrats needed it. I, I think Trump probably needed it, is the truth. I mean, in terms of his campaign, his campaign has, has been fairly lackluster so far, but you want to talk about a shot in the arm for, for Donald Trump's campaign. Have him arrested on a bunch of spurious garbage charges. Nothing is going to enliven the Republican base in favor of Donald Trump, again, like the feeling that he is being targeted, not because of something that he has done, but he's being targeted because they hate his guts and they hate his guts because they really hate your guts, which was, again, his 2016 campaign. So we'll get to the political fallout from all of this momentarily. First, let's talk about the fact it's difficult to maintain a healthy lifestyle. You know, you're a busy person. I'm a busy person. I got to tell you, that combined with the fact that I hate vegetables with the fiery passion of a thousand suns means I don't often get the nutrients that I need, which is why I rely on balance of nature. Balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the best way to make sure you are getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Their capsules are packed with 100% whole food that can, you can take at any time. Balance of nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves those natural phytonutrients in 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. Balance of Nature sent a bunch of their product down to the studio for my team to try. We love them. I was really excited to find out that the product is certified kosher, which means I can use it and it makes me healthier. Go to balanceofnature.com right now. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first preferred order. Keep yourself healthier because... Uh, that body that you have, that's the only one that you're going to get. So head on over to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro, 35% off your first order and get healthier today with balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro for 35% off. Also, the facts that are hardest to face are often the facts about ourselves. It's much easier to accept yourself the way you are. But if you do that, then you're never going to change. And your life is just going to continue to be what it is right now. If you want to change, then you actually need to embrace change. Jordan Peterson talks about this in his new five-part series, Vision and Destiny on Daily Wire Plus. Here's a clip talking about starting small. You're good just the way you are. You're perfect just the way you are. You should accept yourself just the way you are. It's like, well, okay, so what does that say about who I should become? Is that just now off the table because I'm already good enough in every way? So am I done or something? What about who I should become? And then, well, how should I feel good about myself when I don't? Because I'm not getting along with myself. I'm anxious and hopeless and nihilistic and depressed. And uh, I'm not getting along with other people. So how is it that that's all somehow something I should feel good about without being deluded? And these are complicated questions because you don't want to beat yourself with a stick. 
which might be the opposite of that as well. Feel bad about yourself. It's like, no, be judicious and merciful with yourself and think that you need to accept yourself in some way, the way a mother accepts a child. But the maternal spirit is not the only spirit that governs the love that a child requires properly. You have the paternal spirit of encouragement as well, which is, well, we need to shelter and protect you and to provide for your security the way you are, but you could be a lot better and should be, and I have faith that you could be. It's, it's excellent stuff. Jordan is really attuned to the fact that if you want to change, you have to embrace the fact that you're not perfect the way that you are. The fifth and final episode of Vision and Destiny is out now exclusively for Daily Wire Plus members. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch Vision and Destiny. So obviously this is very political on the part of people on the left who, again, would love nothing better than to see Donald Trump go to jail for a very long time. It's also political on the part of some people on the right who are calling for other Republicans to comment on an arrest and an indictment that hasn't actually happened yet. So the proper response at this point from Republicans is nothing. I mean, the proper response is it would be absurd to prosecute Donald Trump from what we know on anything remotely like these charges. Also, he hasn't been arrested yet. And so let's all move on with our lives. Kevin McCarthy did, in fact, tweet out something like that. He said, here we go again. An outrageous abuse of power by a radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against President Trump. I'm directing relevant committees to immediately investigate if federal funds are being used to subvert our democracy by interfering in elections with politically motivated prosecutions. All right, that's perfectly legit from the Speaker of the House. Again, he is sitting in Congress right now and he's the Speaker of the House. Meanwhile, Mike Pence, who is uh, the former vice president to Donald Trump and running pretty hard against Trump for the presidential nomination at this point. I mean, he has, he's made very clear his disapproval of Trump on a wide variety of scores. Even Pence is like, yeah, no, this is nonsense. The idea of indicting a former president of the United States is deeply troubling to me, as it is to tens of millions of Americans, and particularly happening in what appears to be a politically charged environment in New York, where the attorney general and other elected officials literally campaigned on a pledge to prosecute the former president. Guys, so my part, you, my part, uh, my part is going to be to represent. No one is above the law. Uh, I'm confident President Trump uh, can take care of himself. My focus is going to continue to be on the issues that are affecting the American people. OK, that is a proper answer from Mike Pence. There's an entire article in The New York Times, however, Trump allies pressure DeSantis to weigh in on an expected indictment. Why? I have a question, why? I mean, first of all, Donald Trump is out there calling Ron DeSantis meatball Ron and talking up Charlie Crist and, and apparently his people are investigating Casey DeSantis and all this and they're like, but why won't he defend Donald Trump? Okay, so first of all, like, give me a break. Politics is politics. Can we stop pretending that this is a patty cake convention? It's just absurd. But beyond that, why you, has any other sitting governor commented on this? Like a single one? DeSantis isn't in the race yet. When DeSantis becomes a presidential candidate, presumably he will be forced to answer questions about all of this sort of stuff. But the fact that Trump's team is immediately turning to, why won't Ron DeSantis do something? What in the world? Is he the DA of Manhattan? Did I miss the part where he is the governor of New York? Did I miss the part where he's an elected federal official? He, he is not. There's an entire article in the New York Times about this, though. Because, again, it's like, Jason Miller, the former president's senior advisor, said on Twitter the Trump team was taking note of DeSantis' radio silence about the likely indictment. I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. He's the governor of a state. Name another governor who's commented so far. Can you? You cannot, because it doesn't exist. Look, what, what Trump knows in his bones and what his team knows is that this indictment, if it does happen, really good for him politically, really good for him politically, because again, it recalibrates the race. 
The entire, as I've said before, the entire basis of Donald Trump's 2016 election was very simple. They hate me because they hate you, right? The reason they're coming after me, I was, I was their buddy. Hillary Clinton came to my wedding. Like, I was friends with all these people until the moment I declared that I was on your side. And at that moment, they began to target me and they never stopped targeting me, not only during the election cycle, but also during my presidency. And by the way, he was right. They did target him throughout his presidency. You had members of the FBI who were targeting him with nonsense, like the Steele dossier. You had people like James Comey, were essentially bootstrapping into existence entire Russian collusion investigations based on nonsense and then leaking them to the press. You had all sorts of garbage that was that was just being dumped on Trump day in and day out because he was a Republican and because he didn't stand for the same principles that the New York Times wanted him to stand for. And that was a pretty good campaign. And then in 2020, Donald Trump ran a very, very poor campaign. He, he ran a poor campaign on COVID. He ran a poor campaign with regard to the riots. It, it was just a fragmentary campaign and he lost. And then his entire campaign became, I, I didn't actually lose, right? And, and you all have to stand out there and take the bullet for me. Well, here is the thing. When he gets arrested and indicted, he's not asking anybody to take the bullet for him. At that point, everybody immediately reverts back to teams. And everybody says, well, the reason you're going after him is because this is obviously a BS case and you want him off the playing field. And so it's actually quite good for Trump, politically speaking, to be indicted. And everyone knows this. This is not any sort of secret in politics. You think his poll numbers among Republicans in a primary go up or down after he's indicted? Obviously, they go up. A lot of people immediately revert to, if the Democrats hate that guy enough that they are trying to arrest him, then probably we need to back him. Right? That, that is just going to be the natural consequence of this. And so the notion that, that Trump is going to you know, pay any sort of severe political price for being indicted, I think, is, is an absolute lie. Does that mean that Trump like wants to be that? No, I don't think anybody wants to be indicted. But to pretend that it's not going to have an impact on the race is silly. And again, that is the reason why there are fundraising emails that went out over the weekend for Donald Trump predicated on the indictment. Just from a political point of view, it's not a terrible thing for Donald Trump to be indicted if you are Team Trump and you want him nominated in 2024. That, again, is why the focus is now turned to what are all the Republicans saying about Donald Trump as though their world has to revolve around whatever legal problems Donald Trump is having today. Now, again, there, there is something to the idea that Republicans over time, and as they are called upon to do, will actually, once he's indicted, I promise you, Ron DeSantis and every other Republican is going to speak up about it because it will be the number one issue in the country. But you can't do that based on him simply putting out a truth social with no actual verified indictment or arrest at this point. Meanwhile, for the left, again, this is orgasmic fantasy land for, for the left. They've been waiting for years for this. You have Rachel Maddow, who's now attempting to spin up and bootstrap into existence the possibility of an actual armed revolt led by Donald Trump over this indictment. Here's Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. Is this good for Trump politically? Because he is right now a declared candidate for president. Yes. I mean, I think that he's banking on it being something that helps him. But he is playing with a fire that he doesn't know how to contain and that nobody knows how to contain, right? I mean, I think it is a little unnerving that his first political campaign appearance for his 2024 run is in Waco. Again, doesn't have to be the end of the world for him and could potentially be a positive for him. But if he's asking for a militant racially racially tinged violent response from his followers that's something that won't be good for him she's breathless about this i mean honestly they're breathless about this this is what they want because again the entire democratic pitch since 2020 has been republicans are about to end democracy so you know it looks a lot like a threat to democracy when rogue prosecutors start indicting the leader of the opposition party that starts to look a lot like a threat to democracy and so the the best thing to do is projection well he's going to threaten democracy and we're arresting him for no apparent reason. And we're going to try and put him in jail. And we're all going to celebrate in the streets. 
If he says protest, that is a threat to democracy, man. That guy is trying to lead a racially tinged armed rebellion. Yeah, based on what? Protest, 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 three exclamation points on Truth Social? Sure, guys. But again, it, it, it is all just wish casting at the highest level. Same thing from CNN's Ron Brownstein. If you think this is something they dread, they don't. This is something they would love nothing better than. Would, would if, if this materialized, they would just, they'd be over the moon. And your reaction to Trump's claim that he will be arrested Tuesday, his calls for protests, and by the way, the Manhattan DA's office still not confirming that there is any imminent arrest or indictment that is scheduled for Tuesday. Obviously, the larger point is the one, Fred, that you mentioned. Um, You know, if you are the most sympathetic observer possible to Donald Trump and you do double backflips, you can find some credence in his argument that on January 6th, he did not know that his language would lead to violence. But January 6th has now happened. He knows the effect of the language that he used Mm -hmm. that day and how it led to violence. And here he is coming very close to that language again. It makes it very hard to avoid the conclusion that he is willing to uh, use the threat of violence as part of his political strategy. Okay. by, By the way, this is also a wonderful way for them to backfill an entire rationale for arresting him in the first place. The man is, I mean, it's just, it's completely circular. He's so dangerous that we have to arrest him. And then if he protests his arrest, then that's unbelievably dangerous, which is why we have to arrest him. It's it's incredibly circular. So you can see what the left is doing right here. All the incentives are aligned, in other words, for this to happen. Chekhov's gun has to be used. Do I think that Trump is going to get arrested? And I do. I think at some point somebody's going to arrest him as item because I don't think that they can withhold themselves from doing it. I just don't think they can stop themselves. And so they will. And the fallout from that? Well, we have yet to see that. Meanwhile, speaking of people who probably should be arrested, more details are now coming out about the Biden family and the payoffs they received from China. The FBI has been investigating Hunter Biden for apparently the last 200 years. Uh, They they launched their investigation into Hunter Biden and his corruption and his drug problems and all that stuff back in like 2018. Again, it's now 2023. So I, I don't know why it takes the FBI years and years and years to come up with anything. But I mean, we now have some fairly significant details about exactly how the money flowed inside the Biden family. The Biden family has been capitalizing off the Biden name for a very long time. The only question is whether Joe himself received any money. That really is the only question because every single other member of his family, his brothers, his kids, they were receiving money off the Biden name from foreign sources. Last week, in a development noticed only by the right, but completely ignored by the left, the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability issued a memorandum revealing new evidence resulting from an investigation into the Biden family's influence peddling and business schemes. Subpoenaed financial records show that from 2015 to 2017, Biden family members, Hunter Biden, James Biden, Haley Biden, and an unknown Biden, and their companies collectively received $1.3 million in payments from accounts related to Rob Walker, a Biden family associate. Notably, on March 1st, 2017, less than two months after VP Joe Biden left public office, State Energy HK Limited, a Chinese company, wired three million bucks to Rob Walker's company. The next day, the company wired a million bucks to a company associated with James Giller, another Biden family associate. Afterwards, the Biden family received approximately a million bucks in payments over a three-month period in different bank accounts. From the bank records, it appears the Biden family received approximately one-third of the money obtained from the China wire. And apparently it went to Hunter and James and also to Haley Biden, that would be the widow of Bo Biden and the person with whom Hunter Biden then had a sexual affair, and also an unknown Biden. If ever we get the full details as to how the money flowed, I would honestly, I'd be a little surprised if none of the money ever flowed to Joe, considering he's lived high on the hog for decades at this point on a government salary. It's, it's pretty impressive. But again, 
you know, this sort of stuff will be largely ignored and there will be much attention paid to Hunter Biden suing a laptop repair shop owner citing an invasion of privacy. Now, Hunter Biden has filed a sweeping countersuit, according to the Washington Post, against the computer repair shop owner who said that Hunter dropped his laptop off and never claimed it. A legal action that escalates the battle over how provocative data and images of the president's son were obtained nearly four years ago. Now, I thought that these were fake. I thought it was a Russian plan, right? I mean, I was informed of that back in October of 2020 is that this was definitely a Russian ops thing or that fake images were placed on Hunter Biden's computer. Now we're learning that Hunter Biden is upset that it was an invasion of privacy. We can't have it both ways. Either it was fake and it's not an invasion of privacy. It's, it's fraud or it's real and it's an invasion of privacy. The answer is it's neither. It's both real and not an invasion of privacy because it turns out that when you in a cocaine addled stupor drop off your laptop at a repair shop and then leave it there for the next five years or whatever it was. And then the repair shop owner turns it over to somebody. At a certain point, it's no longer your property. If, if you leave your car in the impound lot for four years, it's not going to be there when you get back. In the counterclaim filed on Friday morning in U.S. District Court in Delaware, Biden and his attorneys say John Paul McIsaac had no legal right to copy and distribute private information. Again, now they're admitting that it's all real. They accuse him and others of six counts of invasion of privacy, including conspiracy to obtain and distribute the data. The lawsuit could draw further attention to a sordid chapter in Hunter Biden's life. Has there been a non-sordid chapter in Hunter Biden's life that we haven't heard about yet? He is the smartest person that Joe Biden knows. Uh, again, there there be demons here. And uh, as the investigation continues, I, I would, again, be kind of shocked if nothing emerges about Joe. Even CNN's Aaron Burnett was like, yeah, none of this looks fantastic for the Biden family. On a certain level, if just as a layperson, you hear this, and it doesn't sound good. Uh, there's a guy whose name is uh, John Robinson Walker. He gets $3 million from a Chinese-based company and proceeds to wire it out to a bunch of people named Biden, one of whom is Hunter Biden. Another one is a company that belongs to the president's brother, James Biden, and another amount of money to Bo Biden's uh, widow, Hallie. So, again, from a layperson, that doesn't look good. Meanwhile, we have been told that the global economy is on solid footing. Everything is going to be just fine. That is not true. That is not true. The entire global economy was based on inflated currency and overweening spending for the past several years, and the bill comes due eventually. IMF, International Monetary Fund Chief Economist Ken Rogoff, said as much, said the global economy is about to hit the skids over the weekend. Highly prescient articles that you read, wrote this year alone, actually. The looming financial crisis for Project Syndicate very much sticks in my mind, though you didn't mention Silicon Valley Bank, so I'll deduct a point. Um, in all <laughs> seriousness, how worried are you? Well, I mean, I think the global economy is about to go through the ringer because interest rates have gone up and there was this euphoria a few weeks ago that maybe nothing's going to happen. But I think we're going to get some kind of global recession. Well, yes, because as it turns out, when you raise the interest rates in order to quash inflation, you are going to get lack of liquidity in the markets. Lack of liquidity in the market is going to have some significant downstream effects. And one of those downstream effects is actually the big get bigger. Now, this is the part that's hilarious, is that we reconstructed the entire financial system, supposedly, in 2007, 2008, so that we didn't have too big to fail. And now the too big to fails are eating up everybody else. So over the weekend, UBS Group AG agreed to take over Credit Suisse for more than $3 billion, pushed into the biggest banking deal in a year by the regulators. So the governments were actually like, we need you to pick up Credit Suisse because they look kind of ugly on the balance sheet, and so we need you to eat them. The deal between the twin pillars of Swiss finance is the first mega merger of systemically important global banks since 2008. The Swiss government said it would provide more than $9 billion to backstop some losses that UBS may incur by taking over Credit Suisse. So basically, it is a bailout. It's just a bailout that's funneled through UBS. 
So essentially, instead of just bailing out Credit Suisse directly and saying, we're going to backstop you and you guys just continue along your merry way, they said, UBS, you pick up some of the liability, we'll pick up $9 billion of the liability and we'll save Credit Suisse by eating it. The Swiss National Bank also provided more than $100 billion of liquidity to UBS to help facilitate the deal. So this is a government-sponsored deal in, in actual reality. Basically, the Swiss government, the Swiss National Bank stepped in, facilitated the deal, and forced a merger, forced Credit Suisse into UBS. Swiss authorities were under pressure to make the deal happen before the Asian markets opened for the week because they were afraid that the stock price on Credit Suisse was going to continue to plummet. The urgency on the part of regulators was prompted by an increasingly dire outlook at Credit Suisse. The bank faced as much as $10 billion in customer outflows a day last week, according to a person familiar with the matter. So it looked like a run on the bank over at Credit Suisse. And so they were forced to do another one of these bailouts. Meanwhile, in the United States, there are serious questions as to how far the federal regulators are actually going to be backing a lot of the regional banks. And Janet Yellen made a big boo-boo last week when the Treasury Secretary admitted that only certain systemically important banks would have depositors backstop. Well, that means that there's going to be a run on all the other banks. If you're not one of the banks that is now backed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, you're going to look at your money and be like, uh, I'm not sure that that is secure. Jenny Yellen just said that if it's in this bank, it's secure. But if it's in that bank, not so secure. Well, that is going to create runs on all the other banks. Again, genius level stuff from the people who run our economy. Meanwhile, First Citizens is evaluating an offer for SVB. At least one other suitor is making a serious consideration for the collapsed lender. Reuters reported earlier this week that the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation has asked banks interested in acquiring SVB and Signature Bank to submit all of their bids by March 17th. Now, all of that could have been avoided in the first place if they hadn't actually stopped all these other banks from bidding on it in the first place. Instead, the FDIC stepped in. And this is just how stupid the FDIC is. They stopped all of these banks from stepping in, filling in the uninsured deposit holders, the unsecured deposit holders. And... Uh, and instead of allowing another bank to buy it up, they stopped the banks from buying it up. They stepped in themselves, backstopping $7 to $8 trillion in unsecured deposits across the American landscape, but only apparently at selective banks. And now they're saying we should sell off these defunct banks to the new. You know what would have been great is if you had just allowed one of the big banks to eat one of the smaller banks or even done what the Swiss National Bank just did and actually help facilitate that deal in order to re reapply some sort of surety to the system. But you, you didn't. You just geniuses everywhere in charge here. And now we're told, I love this. Now we are being told, of course, that obviously the Fed had spotted big problems at SVB before the collapse. This is the New York Times. Well, weird that they didn't do anything about it. According to the New York Times, Silicon Valley Bank's risky practices were on the Federal Reserve's radar for more than a year. An awareness that proved insufficient to stop the bank's demise. The Fed repeatedly warned the bank it had problems, according to a person familiar with the matter. In 2021, a Fed review of the growing bank found serious weaknesses in how it was handling key risks. Supervisors at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, which oversaw SVB, issued six citations. The bank did not fix its vulnerabilities. By July 2022, SVB was in full supervisory review, getting a more careful look, and was ultimately rated deficient for governance and controls, and was placed under a set of restrictions that prevented it from growing through more acquisition. It became clear to the Fed the firm was using bad models to determine how its business would fare as the central bank raised rates. By early 2023, Silicon Valley Bank was in what Fed calls a horizontal review, an assessment meant to gauge the strength of risk management, and they found that they did not have good risk management. And still, they were unable to do anything. This is why all the call for more regulation, what if we had more government involvement? Well, I mean, you guys did a crap job the first several times, so I'm wondering as to why exactly we should trust you this time. And again, as I mentioned, if you're a mid-sized bank that actually has not gotten that unlimited FDIC backstop, you're freaking out right now. 
which is why over the weekend, according to Axios, the Mid-Sized Bank Coalition of America sent a letter to regulators arguing that a temporary suspension of the FDIC's deposit insurance limit is necessary to ensure that smaller banks can navigate the current banking crisis. Because otherwise, what you're going to see is a bunch of the non-specials fail, and those are going to get gobbled up by the big guys. Amazing. These are the people that we're supposed to trust. We're supposed to trust them with everything. We're supposed to trust them with the banking system. We're supposed to trust them with inflation. We're supposed to trust them with the interest rate. All of it. We're supposed to trust them. Is there a way they haven't failed us at this point? Like, name the ways that the experts in charge have not failed us at this point. Okay, time for a couple things I like and then a couple of things that I hate. So, things that I like. Over the weekend, uh, I, I got a subscription to a service called BritBox because I realized that there's a lot of really good British TV. I've, I've viewed pretty much all the good American TV I think there is. Uh, and so British TV, uh, there was something that came up on, on Amazon Prime uh, called Time. It was with Sean Bean and, uh, and with another actor who I think is one of the most underrated actors, working day, Stephen Graham. Uh, he, you'll recognize him from Boardwalk Empire. He played Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. Uh, and uh, this is a series called Time. It won a bunch of awards over in, over in Britain. Uh, it aired, I believe, on BBC. And it is all about Sean Bean in prisons. It's a prison show. It's, it's a really first-rate show. Here's a little bit of the trailer. Have you been in prison before? No. First sounds are everything, eh? We're in here as punishment, son, not for it. I'm your personal officer. Any problems, you come to me, right? So your lad's in love with prison boss? Is that a threat? Please get in here! It's a really, really good show. Uh, he, he, Sean Bean won some awards for it. And it's a show where Sean Bean doesn't die in the first 15 minutes of the movie, which is t- typically he dies in the first 15 minutes of the movie, even though he's a really, really good actor. So uh, that is definitely worth the watch. Okay, other things that I like today. So this is just an amazing story. A CNN crew over the weekend was robbed while covering street crime in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, the irony. Oh, the irony. So CNN crew was trying to cover the issue of street crime. And a reporter named Kyung La tweeted out, got robbed. Again, Jason Keeler and I, I believe it's Jason Keeler. Uh, sorry, J- Jason Kraverik, a CNN producer and I, were at City Hall in San Francisco to do an interview for CNN. We had security to watch our rental car plus crew car. Thieves did this in under four seconds. Security stopped the jerks from stealing other bags. But seriously, this is ridiculous. Apparently, the security tried to grab the crooks, but ended up with an image of the license plate to the vehicle they drove off in. And she wrote, San Francisco is a beautiful city. This is our third day here. I've loved my time here. If you do visit the city, know that even with hired security watching your car, it is not enough. So just amazing stuff. Well done, San Francisco. As always, you've done a tremendous... But I assume that if Donald Trump had done anything in the city of San Francisco, the DAs would be looking into prosecuting him. This is where you start to lose the American people, folks, is when your law enforcement resources are not dedicated to making the lives of people in your cities better. They're dedicated to getting the political opponents of people who will make the DA more famous. At that point, a lot of people start to tune out. That's precisely what you're watching happening with Donald Trump. Street crime is worse than it's been in a long time in places like New York and San Francisco. And yet it seems like the resources are being devoted not to those issues, but to ancillary issues that light up Twitter, but don't make anybody's life actually better. Okay, time for some things that I hate. Okay, so over the weekend, the San Jose Sharks, who are the worst team in the Western Conference in the NHL, apparently they are bad at both hockey and also biology. And they decided that they were going to tweet out the San Jose Sharks. First of all, they changed their logo to the trans flag, essentially. It's a, it's a blue, pink, and white shark. 
And the hockey sticks that are crossed below the shark logo now have the Pride Progress flag on them. And they decided they were just going to tweet out a bunch of intersectional garbage about gender. Quote, worldwide, says the San Jose Sharks. And I, I, I need another update from Gushers on Black Lives Matter. That was my favorite. Is during Black Lives Matter when every corporation felt the necessity to speak up about systemic racism in the United States and Gushers, you know, like the, the candy that you give to your kids in their, in their lunch bag. Gushers was like, we also will speak up about Black Lives It's like, you are a candy. You need to stop that. Anyway, the San Jose Sharks, they had tweeted out, worldwide, gender diversity is seen far differently than it is in the Western world, or as you may know it. Most of us are familiar with the male, female, and transgender labels. But in other cultures, the existence of the third gender, or even fourth and fifth genders, is common. Uh, it's not. I mean, let me just put it this way. It's really, really uncommon across the world. In fact, you have to find like very, very random cultures in extremely small places that humor anything remotely like what they are talking about. And also, very often when they're talking about a third gender, they're talking about intersex people, which is not the same thing as saying that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man. So the San Jose Shark says, the Mux gender is a respected third gender in Zapotec cultures in Oaxaca, Mexico that has existed for centuries. Wow, I mean, that, 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 that's a culture we've all heard of and has had massive cultural influence across the, across the world. Yeah, probably they got it right. Guna'a are those who are born as men, but who identify as women and are attracted to men. The Nigui are those who are born as men and are attracted to other men. This is the San Jose Sharks, a hockey team. Source, book, Living in Modern America by Sarah Salam and Inter-American Development Bank. I have a question. What does this have to do with anything? Like, when did the woke employee get a hold of the Twitter account? And then they started tweeting out pictures of men dressed as women in Mexico, for example. Wow. Well, you, you've convinced all of us that, that that men and women don't exist and that, wow, that, that dude with the hairy arms is, is really a woman. You've convinced us. Again, the claim of the trans movement is not that there is a third gender. You'll recognize. The claim of the trans movement is that a man is a woman and a woman is a man. Remember, trans women are women. Trans men are men. So they're actually making a distinct claim, believe it or not. They're saying there's a third gender of people. But trans doesn't say there's a third gender of people. The trans activists say that there, you can be any gender you want. Number, there are thousands of genders, not a third gender. But even beyond that, they're arguing that if you identify as a member of the opposite sex, you are, in fact, a member of the opposite sex. They tweeted out the, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to call a friend. This is a very long word that I am totally going to botch, so I'm going to need to phone a friend here. How is this pronounced? Ninao yeah, no, I need that again. Nina Pusket Ziphepa. Nina Pusket Ziphepa. Nina Pusket Ziphepa. Okay, Nina Pusket Ziphepa. Okay, good enough. That, that's as good as it's going to get. Uh, yeah, so they, they tweet out, the Nina Pusket Ziphepa were honored as a third gender in the North Pagan tribe of the Blackfoot Confederacy in northern Montana and southern Alberta, Canada. Well then, I mean, if you if, if the Nina Upakapsa we're honored that way, then obviously that means that mainstream Western culture is just wrong. And so is, by the way, virtually all cultures all over Earth for all of time. And so is all of mammalian biology, that there are only two sexes and that sex is dichotomous. Thank you, San Jose Sharks. Thank you. Now, I just have to wonder, who is running the show at some of these places? Because let's face it. I mean, if you actually look at the demographic breakdown per league, I've talked about this before. Sports leagues have different fan bases. The NBA's fan base is disproportionately black and left-wing in terms of its politics and its demographic breakdown. The NHL fan base is disproportionately white and right-wing. The, the NASCAR fan base is disproportionately white and right-wing. The NFL is 
pretty evenly spread, right? Like just this is not a statement about good, bad, or indifferent. That's just that's the way it is. Who is the NHL trying to appeal to here? Who is like who is in the NHL audience? Who's like, man, I need to know what the San Jose Sharks think about the Nina Upechsopa. I need to, I need it right now. I need to know. There is a bubble. The people who run these teams are in that bubble because in corporate America, everybody exists in a bubble that is far away from the regular Americans and far away from their own audience. They don't even know what they're talking about. Okay, one other thing that I hate today. So this is just a spectacular clip. So Robin D'Angelo, who's one of the great grifters of all time, she's the author of what is, I think, factually speaking, the worst book ever written, White Fragility. It is an awful, awful piece of garbage. If you want to see my full take on White Fragility, I did a YouTube video probably a year ago, in which I went through White Fragility in detail. It's like a 35-minute breakdown, breaking down what is truly one of the most awful books ever put into the English language. And she was doing another one of these, these Maoist struggle sessions, talking about how white people are terrible, and also they carry the burden of having to fix all of Earth. So shockingly, white people are both terrible and also should have all the power, which is a very weird thing. And, um, and she drops this one. She basically says that black people should hang out with black people. So here, here's what she has to say. And then I'm a big believer in affinity space and affinity work. And I think people of color need to get away from white people <laughs> and, and have some community um, with each other. And I'll, I'll let that go and maybe see if anyone else wants to pick it up. Um, so she wants there to be a separate black space from the, from the white space. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, I just want to play that one more time because then I want to contrast that with another thing that was said by a famous person recently that got that person's career ended. So here, here she is again. And then I'm a big believer in affinity space and affinity work. And I think people of color need to get away from white people <laughs> and, and have some community um, with each other. And I'll, I'll let that go and maybe see if anyone else wants to pick it up. I think people of color need to get away from white people and have a space just for themselves, right? Now, imagine that she had said, I think white people need to get away from people of color and have a space just for themselves. Well, we don't have to imagine. Scott Adams said exactly that, and it ended his career. Here was his direct quote, right? But I, here's the quote with the races reversed, the way that Robin D'Angelo would. You tell me if you can spot a distinction between Scott Adams, if he'd been talking about black people getting away from white people, and what Robin D'Angelo just said, quote, if nearly half of whites are not okay with black people, according to this poll, according, not according to me, according to this poll, that's a hate group. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I would say, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to black people is to get the hell away from white people. Just get the F away because there's no fixing this. That's if Scott Adams had been talking about black people getting away from white people. And it is indistinguishable from what Robin D'Angelo is saying, except she says the word affinity groups a lot. The term affinity groups. Again, racism is just fine depending on who it is directed against. That is the, that is the rule of the day when it comes to the left. All righty, guys, the rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting into the latest with regard to Russia, Ukraine, China, and we'll be getting into the mailbag. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click the link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.